For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Hey, here goes Lauren. She's all embarrassed. Oh, Aww. Aww. Flashing the peace sign in the duck lips, that's pretty common in pictures for her. One of her early selfies, I think, is when she realized she could take such good selfies. Lauren was just so friendly, she talked to everybody. She knew so many people, I was always amazed, like, how do you know her, like, how do you know him? Just social butterfly. That's how she was. She was probably one of the most popular girls in school, and it wasn't because she was in the, the popular crowd or anything, it was just because of who she was. She used to stay up late at night in her room, trying to help her friends. She was just the most caring, compassionate person I've ever met in my life. People were starting to run down the street. One of our neighbors went by and stopped and said something. Police raced to the scene to find two 13-year-old girls shot. I run in just in a panic, and I'm like, you said kids are down. And he's like, what? And I couldn't wait. I just took off. You don't know if it's going to be a mass shooting or somebody's running around shooting students or, you know, if this is a one-time deal. I just thought, this is crazy. There's a thousand kids at that school. Whatever happened, it's, it's not her. It can't be her. And I don't know who answered her phone, but I just heard somebody screaming. So I ran down the street as fast as I can. All I saw was people everywhere. There was no logical reason that we could think of to where someone would just gun down a 13-year-old girl. We stayed here because, you know, it's a good place to raise kids and it's safe. You just gunned down my daughter. A stranger, we don't even know you. She don't know you. That was the first day that we didn't wake up from a nightmare. We woke up to a nightmare and we've been waking up to one ever since. watching a home movie. Another premonition from a short crime. It's one of my favorite pictures. That was Christmas, her Christmas outfit. Mm-hmm. That's the one she was wearing when she saw Santa Claus. Mm hmm When I was pregnant, I knew it was going to be a girl, because I know I dreamed of her. 
It was so real, this dream behind an old-fashioned camera, you know, the kind that you crank with the handle, and there was this little girl. So at first, I didn't know who this little girl was. She had the short bob. She was about seven or eight years old, and it was Lauren. Hi, this is Lauren, your favorite host. My name is Lauren. <laughs> And I just knew it was our daughter's because she had pulled on Vern's pant leg on his jeans. She was pulling it. And she looked up and she said, Daddy? And it was over. And I just knew that was our daughter. And as soon as they pulled her out, I was in love. Everything I could have hoped for. I just kind of spent a few minutes just Looking into her eyes, uh, she was just staring back. Uh, kind of just in uh, disbelief that we finally had uh, uh, the daughter that I had always wanted. She was beautiful, the most beautiful baby. She was just full of, full of life. A lot of my most precious moments with her were just knowing when I'm coming home from work in the afternoon that she would be waiting. When I pulled up, she's already opening the door and, and hugging my leg. Oh, gosh, she was so funny. I mean, this was like every day. She'd come out. <laughs> she'd like to surprise us, come out of her bedroom, and dressed all crazy. She'd have this crazy makeup on and big eyebrows, and she'd put on this, like, costume, you know, from Halloween or a pair of weird pajamas and come out, and you just start laughing. I mean, she just had you laughing in tears, where my stomach would hurt so bad from laughing with her. She was just fun, just random, and I love that about her. You know, she was unpredictable. Just never knew what she was gonna do. The last time I saw Lauren was Thursday night. Before uh, that Friday, and I was going to bed I kissed her on the top of her head. And I uh, told her I loved her and told her goodnight. Vern goes to work and he leaves before us. Lauren was running late. My friend took her to school that day. And so I was telling Lauren, getting on her, like, you need to hurry. She's waiting, you know, can't keep her waiting. But I did give her a kiss and told her I loved her. And it was a beautiful day. It's almost like a spring weather. It was just a beautiful day, and I went to work. And um, I even posted a selfie that day <laughs> and said, life is good. It was fairly early in the school year. School had just started, and it was the Friday before the weekend. She and her best friend, Michaela were walking home from school. And what Michaela said was they were talking about boys and what they were going to do that weekend, and just typical 13-year-old conversation, and just having a good time, smiling and laughing and joking. And other children from junior high were also walking in the alleyway. I'm waiting for Lauren to get home. I know it should be soon. And a truck pulled up. My friend goes, is Lauren home yet? And I'm like, no, why? 
And she said, kids are down. That's all she said. I heard the front door open, uh, and I heard Bianca. I saw her run, and I didn't really know what was going on, so I got in my truck, and I started to follow her. So I ran down the street as fast as I can. All I saw was people everywhere in the crime scene tape. I didn't know about, you know, her friend being shot. I didn't know about anything with gunshots at all. Then I keep looking. I look down at my daughter's laying there on her back. Her head was turned this way, so she was looking right at me. And she's the only one I see. I knew she was gone. I can't explain it. I knew she was gone. And I know I was screaming, I guess, really loud and horrible screams. But I know I was calling her to come back. I felt like she was going to the light and I was trying to get her to come back, you know. Don't go, please come back. And nobody was working on her. She was just laying there by herself. I couldn't understand why. Probably went into shock. But all I remember is like a white cloud everywhere, like a, like a fog and just seeing her laying there. And I know I kept asking, what happened? What happened? Someone tell me, please tell me what happened. I don't know who said it, but someone just said she was shot. I think I went to my knees at that point and people were trying to hold me up and I couldn't go to my baby. And they let me ride in the ambulance in the front seat. And I kept looking back and just telling her to hang on. I heard him say, I have a heartbeat. And I thought, oh my God, she's alive, they have a heartbeat. I didn't know at the time, it was just an artificial heartbeat, but uh, I thought she was still alive. So when we got to the hospital and they took her into the room, uh, Michaela's mom was out there in the hallway. And I just remember hugging her and uh, telling her that I, that I was praying for Michaela, that she would be all right. I found out about Michaela, I believe when I got to the hospital, someone yelled out she was shot. And that's all the information I had. And um, started, I got in this room by myself. I'm pacing around. And then finally Vern comes in, and I'm telling him that Lauren didn't make it. And he's just like, no, no, no. She, they were working on her in the ambulance. They were working on her. I said, we're in this room. She didn't make it, Vern. I'm telling you. I don't know how long before the door opened and I think it was a couple doctors, maybe two or three people walk in and just shook their head. Didn't make it. And that was it. Shots are fired in an alley just off the 5100 block of Kingston Avenue. Police race to the scene to find two 13-year-old girls shot. I was in the newsroom at Channel 6 here in Wichita Falls. 
So we heard the call go out as it went out to police uh, that there was gunshots, that we had two victims. We had a reporter and a photographer on the way. We dispatched them immediately just to get to that direction so that we could find out more information. When the news came out, the city felt shock. Everyone was in shock. Uh, everyone wanted to know where their kids were at that moment. Uh, we had a, a, a killer on the loose. Once I get there, there's a lot of chaos because this was so unusual for Wichita Falls and they didn't have a suspect. I talked to the head detective and they update me with information of what they know about the case. People were crying and upset. You can only imagine parents, their children were walking home and they hear on the news that two young children had been shot. It was one of the first times that I've been mayor that the community all together paused. It's like the community banded together. It didn't matter if you're a Republican or Democrat, if you're black or white, um, they wanted to get it right. Bring this killer to justice. When we got here, I just remember having to go into her room, uh, which she was not the neatest kid in the world, and it was just a mess, but I just remember going and laying down on her bed and just, just crying. What in the world would motivate someone to just drive up, roll down their window, point a gun out the window, and then just open fire on a 13-year-old girl walking home from school? There was no rhyme or reason at all as to what was behind it. The police, you know, had come to our house to talk to us. They went to Lauren's room and took, you know, her phone and took her iPad and all this stuff. Get any kind of information, see if it's someone she was messaging or knew or, you know, to look at all the text messages and all that stuff. And then a police officer did tell me that, I'm just gonna be honest with you, we may never catch who did this. And I just looked at him like, <laughs> like, he, I can't, I don't I don't, how do I even take that? I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, we may never catch who did this to your daughter. Lauren was my mini-me. She's taller, though. She got taller than me. So she couldn't wear my shoes anymore. I was happy. It's like, you can't wear my shoes anymore, Lauren. Cooler than penguin feet. That's what I like to say about Lauren. She was very cool. After Lauren had been murdered, there was a lot of outpouring from her friends and some of their parents. One lady had written to another lady about her son was a transfer from one junior high school in town to another, to where Lauren went. And on the first day that he went there, he was kind of really worried about lunchtime. He didn't know anybody. So he went into the lunchroom that day and sat by himself. I guess within a few minutes, Lauren had gone over to him and uh, introduced herself and invited him to sit with her. So uh, that kind of stuff, and it still makes me cry to think about it. Just, uh, I didn't know anybody like that in eighth grade. Eighth graders weren't usually that nice <laughs> when, I, when I was in eighth grade. I don't remember eighth grade being full of really nice people. And that kid will never forget it. I mean, it meant so much to him that Lauren did that. But that's just what she did. You didn't have to tell her to do anything like that. She just did it. So to hear all those 
you know, stories after the fact. You know, we're just so proud of our daughter. And I just can't even tell you. Lauren Londavazzo does not survive. Michaela Smith is rushed to the hospital and recovers, and a manhunt begins. This is the area that Lauren and Michaela was shot at, and from what we understand, they were coming down this sidewalk, walking home from school, and the car pulled up right behind us, pointed a gun out the window, opened fire, and killed Lauren, shooting her 14 times. Eight of those shots were fatal. It kind of burst my bubble, to tell you the truth, because we don't have this in our community. Situations like that happen, you know, in a Chicago or L.A. or a New York City. Those things don't happen here, but it was a reality check that those things can happen here in Wichita Falls. Michaela Smith was shot in the chest, and she turned around, and she said she could see Lauren laying there, and she could see her feet, and she called her name a few times, but she didn't move. There were kids all around that saw this. This was a very public murder. There were a lot of children that witnessed the crime that officers had to talk to, and it becomes difficult because they're so young. You're dealing with 12, 13-year-old children that had just seen something so horrific that they never expected in their life. Anyone who's ever interviewed a traumatized child, particularly one that just witnessed their friend be gunned down and shot in front of them, knows that it's not something that comes through quickly. Asking the questions alone can be so traumatizing, a child will just cry and scream and shut down. We didn't know at the time, but Lauren's friend, Michaela Smith, had actually locked eyes with the killer. She had a description, he had shaggy brown hair, that he was younger and he was a white male. So that's what we were looking for. We were working very hard to get descriptions out uh, via social media, on air, every, every avenue, trying to bombard, literally, the, the, the community with information so that every, we could find who did this. At that point, no one knew if he was still out there, no one knew if he was in the area, if he'd gone away, nobody knew. Michaela saw him right in his eyes, and that's what she recalls. You know, thank God she had that information, and thank God she survived. How many people in town have shaggy hair and they're young men? I mean, tons of them. They didn't have any leads, for one thing. They had two different descriptions of vehicles, you know, a black truck and a SUV, different color. That's about all they had. The police alerted the community about the vehicles and let us know if you've seen any vehicles matching either the black truck with the chrome or the gold SUV. We had no success on that. There was an appetite to get this guy behind bars as fast as possible. I'm not kidding, everybody was looking for that car. They wanted justice done. By Sunday, around 11 o'clock, I received a call from the sergeant detective. He thought that Michaela Smith might have gotten a good enough look at him. They might be able to employ a sketch artist. In 24 years, I've never okayed that. And for the first time, because we had nothing to go on, I said yes. 
Sketches in crimes could be an asset if the description is clear and accurate and you can get a description out that people can actually visualize and help police getting them to a suspect a lot quicker. But it could also come with a lot of risks. If your witness is misremembering something and that now becomes canonized in this sketch and people immediately assume that this sketch is accurate, in this case, the primary witness was a child. And so when accuracy of the description and the impact on the public is so paramount, uh, there was a lot riding on this poor, young, traumatized girl. Within an hour of me okaying a sketch artist, unbeknownst to me, a woman and her fiance were going to look at the makeshift memorial that people in the community had made. And about that time, a gold SUV slowed down and stopped and then continued on and it matched the description of one of the suspect vehicles. They ended up following that gold SUV and a young white male with shaggy hair got out of his vehicle and he looked nervous and he was looking around went to the passenger side and retrieved an item, which was a long item wrapped in a blanket and what they believed to be the end of a rifle sticking out of that. He came out without that item that looked like a rifle wrapped in a blanket. And so she called 911 and they asked her to take down the license plate, which she did. So then she calls that into dispatch and it's a suspect that matches the description of Michaela Smith. And there's reasonable suspicion to pull that vehicle over, that that might be the suspect. So there was a police officer that was just down the road that heard the call, that immediately got behind the vehicle, followed it for a minute, and then pulled it over on a traffic violation. The patrol officer asked for consent to search the gold SUV which the driver consented because unbeknownst to the police department, he'd already cleaned out the vehicle. So the officer searches the vehicle. They find a brass shell casing from um, a weapon. And in the meantime, he found a backpack. He searched it and he found brass knuckles. And in the state of Texas at that time, brass knuckles were a prohibited weapon. And so the driver then was placed under arrest. My first reaction was relief because of the safety of the community. And you just want to say, heck yes, we, we got him. We got word there was going to be a press conference and the chief was going to do it. And all I could think was they caught him. They, he's going to tell us that they've got him. I just knew it. And sure enough, the police chief came out and said, we've arrested a suspect and his name is Cody Lott. 20 year old Cody Lott is arrested after a traffic stop on Southwest Parkway. Police find a gun among other things believed to be evidence that could have been involved in the shooting. 
two days after rumors start happening, and I do remember someone coming up with a picture of this guy. And I'm like, who the hell's that? Like, who is that? And she goes, this is the guy who killed Lauren. This is him. The fact that they caught him and the woman who saw him and called the police was all because of Lauren guiding us and making sure that we got justice for her. To me, that's divine. And from the moment that this happened, I feel like I have been guided from above by my daughter. And I know that she had everything to do with that woman being there at that time to see what she saw. Cody Lott was not on anybody's radar. He was pretty much a loner. He didn't have a good employment record. He did drugs and he just was a young male that was dysfunctional. The process begins as he's taken downtown and they start to ask him questions. Cody Lott has a right to remain silent. He doesn't have to give a statement. He decided he wanted to talk to the detectives and they asked him about the, the murder and aggravated assault. He denied it and for 45 minutes he lied to the officers. Tell me that now, man, because I want to clear you and get you on your way. But if you if if it's the opposite, if if you're if you were there and uh, you have any information about it, then tell me right now, man. Because we, you know, we I don't want to get you hemmed up in something that you didn't have anything at all to do with. You know what I'm saying? So it looks like he knows that he's busted and he's trying to get himself out of it. But I notice here the detective is speaking in a very soft uh, voice. He's not yelling. He's not screaming. Um, he's not acting angry in any any way. What he's trying to do is start that rapport going to where the defendant thinks that they have a relationship enough that uh, he can get him to tell him what he has done. And if you notice, Cody Lott has his arm crossed. That's defensive. He wants to hide something. And when the detectives see him opening up, they know it's working. After about 45 minutes, the detectives uh, do their magic. They're really good at what they do. And they finally um, saw a way in and ended up getting him to confess to the murder and aggravated assault. But I, I saw her, I, I drove by her in my car like a couple of days before, uh -huh. and I made eye contact with her, and her eyes looked like, like gems or something to me. Like, that was all, I was like, how could someone have such beautiful eyes? And, like, I just said what's up to her as I drove by. Like, I didn't, I just, you know, said what's uh -huh. up. I didn't mess with her or nothing. I just drove by her, but I said, There's, I'm not going to let nobody else uh, enjoy Right. Enjoy that. So you you pretty much knew what to, where her route. Oh man, I watched her for about a year, man. Uh -huh. For a year, I'd seen her walking with her boyfriend. Right. I hadn't had access to a gun. Uh -huh. For four hours, he talked to detectives about everything, everything that had happened that day, everything that had happened since then. He then ends up slowly confessing to what he did that day, that Friday, that he murdered Lauren Landavazo and injured Michaela Smith. So they, they stopped in their tracks, is what I'm trying to say. They stopped in yeah. their tracks. And Lauren looked at me like like I was joking, or she kind of looked at me like, oh, please. You know, uh -huh. she kind of just like turned her head like that with a kind of smirk on her face. Right. And that's when I just, I, my eyes changed, and I just, I felt, I was like, uh-uh. you fired at her first? Yeah, I fired at her, and then well, her friend was like right beside her, man. 
I pointed up and I did aim at Lauren, but not at her head. Like I, I thought it would jam on me, or you know, you would think a gun would jam on you, but I was just pulling that trigger as fast as I could, and it sounded like it was. And I. It was hard to fathom everything he was saying. He was talking like he was proud of it. There was almost a proud presentation, if you will, from him about when he was shooting her and explaining it to the police, how he was using the gun and how he made sure he was in the right place and that he could get the gun out of the window so he could shoot it. I mean, it just, it, it, it was calculated. After watching the confession and seeing how cavalier he was in his description of the crime, um, describing it like I would describe my experience at a vacation, he was almost enjoying it. He was very animated and excited. He was reliving it quite enthusiastically. He was telling detectives he had talked to the devil. He had said that it wasn't a senseless killing. He was mad about that. He wanted us to report it as an assassination, a calculated assassination. In Cody Lott's confession, he talked about having watched Lauren walk home from junior high from school for approximately a year. And when she was in seventh grade, she had a boyfriend and he wasn't happy about her having a boyfriend. Like, this is, just get ready, man. This is a story, okay? So okay. Like, just have patience. Let me finish if you don't mind. Right. Well, I've had a problem, you know, with females for a while now. You know, you can, you're already, you can ask anybody I know and they'll tell you absolutely that's something Cody would do. They'd say, absolutely, he is, he has hate in his heart. Like, I'd seen that girl walk in multiple times with her boyfriend and her boyfriend was just a little punk looking kid that wasn't no man. So it kind of just sparked a jealousy in me, man. And uh, despite the fact he'd never met Lauren, he'd never met Michaela, they didn't know who Cody Lott was, but he watched him from afar from his parents' um, apartment through the window. And he was a lonely, selfish, um, terrible person, evil person that didn't think about anything but himself. His whole confession was really about him. It's just all these girls were just ignoring me and disrespecting me. And all I ever wanted was an opportunity to be respectful and treat a girl right. It just made no sense to anyone to do that. He was mad that he was not going to be her boyfriend. It was just a sick feeling. It, it was sick to read it. It was sick. It was sick to report it. I mean, it just made you just... You just didn't feel good at all. It was just, it was upsetting, very upsetting. Never heard of him, total stranger. Cody Lott was 20 years old. Our daughter's 13, <laughs> no way, you know? And they weren't friends on Facebook, on any social media. There was no links whatsoever to this person. He fixated on her. He watched her walk home from school. He watched her for quite a while, apparently, and planned the murder. I remember seeing the picture of him, how evil he looked, and just like nothing. He looks like nothing. He's, he's a little coward. He's, if he had tried to take Lauren, you know, go and grab her and try to take her, she probably would have kicked his ass. But he had the power of life and death that day because he had an assault rifle. We knew that from the time that he was arrested that he had some mental health issues. 
He was diagnosed in 2015 with schizoaffective disorder. And so from the very beginning, we knew we were going to have to look for things like him covering the weapon, him throwing the weapon in a field, him retrieving it, him lying. We started making a list showing that Cody Lott knew right from wrong. We know that Lott had a previous diagnosis of schizoaffective disorder. So that is a combination of schizophrenia and an affective disorder. Schizophrenia is a state of psychosis where people typically hear voices or they have paranoid delusions. And an affective disorder is related to mood. So people who suffer from this either are quite depressed or they're quite manic when they can be overexcited and disinhibited. But crucially, despite all of that, I still think he knew what he was doing was wrong because he tried to cover up his tracks. Cody Lott told them he drove away from the scene, he got on a highway and he stopped at a field that he was familiar with, went into the field, hid the weapon in a place he knew he'd be able to find it later. Then he went to Archer City, which is about 20 minutes south of Wichita Falls, met up with the girl he knew and they went to her house and did drugs. It wasn't until Sunday that he went back and retrieved the weapon, and then ended up taking it back to put it back in his stepdad, I believe, gun locker that was in that apartment. It was clear because of his actions that he knew what he had done was not right, that it was against civil norms and against the law. After Lauren had been murdered, nothing was important. Nothing mattered anymore. Work didn't matter, money didn't matter, nothing mattered anymore. I don't remember much about the funeral. Vern was so busy doing the service and I, I was totally out of the picture, honestly. I was in the background. I didn't know really what was going on. There's things you have to do. You have to plan your child's funeral, something you never thought you would have to do, to, to plan a funeral. How you're going to sum up your child's life in an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, whatever. How are you going to do that? I had to wait a couple years before the trial happened. I was anxious. I was scared. You know, I was thinking, what if they don't find them guilty? What if something's messed up? What if they didn't do something right? I mean, I was scared. I mean, I really didn't know what was gonna happen, the outcome. I first saw Cody Lodd in the courtroom and he was physically how Michaela Smith had described him. He was very thin, white, young male. He was 20 years old, shaggy brown hair. Didn't communicate very much in the courtroom. And he's exactly the profile of a young killer in Texas that commits stranger offenses. And I say that because the profile typically, like you have these school shootings or these mass shootings, it's typically a young white male. Cody Lott. They started that trial with children 
uh, coming to the witness stand that had seen this happen, which to me is just unfathomable. But I think we were all ready for this trial to start. And from the moment that the district attorney, Maureen Shelton in Wichita County opened her mouth, that jury was ready to listen. My concern from the very beginning is that the jury would feel sorry for Cody Lott. He was a very young offender. He had drug issues. And his mental illness was the major concern. He was found incompetent to stand trial before the September trial. So he was sent to a maximum security mental institution to regain his competency before we went to trial so he could have a fair, fair trial. While Cody had schizoaffective disorder, that may have led him to have ideas and think that he needed to kill somebody. The fact that someone would even have murder on their menu that they could enact, um, that has nothing to do with mental illness. That has to do with his need for power and control. And treat a girl right because I knew this girl was going to end up getting raped here in a couple years, and there's all kinds of evil going on there. So in my mind, I saved her from the evil of this world, and also it was kind of a sacrifice to the devil because uh, like I've been talking to the devil a lot, and he's the one that 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 told me to do that because I was sitting there with the gun, and I was I was I was watching him. I was watching out the window, man, waiting for them to, or I was, she had been walking by herself every day. Cody Law gave many reasons. He said that he was angry because he didn't have a girlfriend. He was angry because he was jealous because she's so beautiful. He sacrificed her to God so he could have a mansion and all the drugs that he wanted as a gift. So he's had a lot of different reasons. Besides, just the devil made him do it. Cody Lodd was never able to justify what he had done because it's unjustifiable. And his statement made it all about him and that somehow Lauren was his possession even though he'd never had any interaction with her or Michaela at all. He was just selfish, you know, and didn't get beyond that. When I first saw him, he just looked so scary and evil. He's never said he's sorry. He's never said anything to... Michaela's family, or us. When we saw him after they had put him in the state hospital, medicated him, and he came back into court for that first hearing, I was immediately struck by the difference in his face. He didn't look evil anymore. He didn't have that same evil look on his face. He looked scared. He looked like a scared little boy to me. That's what he looked like. And I actually felt bad for him that day. I pitied him, I, I felt bad for him. Until I watched his confession, until I watched and listened to the doctors talk about how he still had really no remorse for what he had done. And that's when I knew that I'll never forgive him for what he did. On top of all that other evidence that we play, we also have to play the in-car videos that are in patrol cars that day. And you could hear Bianco Landavazo arrived on the scene, and it's that blood-curdling scream the jury got to hear, and it was very emotional, and uh, uh, that was my strongest piece of evidence, I think, to bring out the emotion of the jury, because they were all parents themselves. And it's emotional, and it's the last thing the jury heard, and it brought tears to my eyes.
The day he was found guilty, we knew it was coming. It was something that we had known for two years. The only thing that was surprising was how fast it was. Within an hour, there was no time at all that they were able to come back with those verdicts. So God bless Tarrant County juries. Cody Lott was found guilty of first degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison. And then he was also found guilty of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon and was sentenced to 20 years in prison for that. I'm glad that he was found guilty and he did get life, but life in Texas is only 60 years, which I didn't know. That's not justice to me. In 30 years, he's eligible for a parole hearing. It doesn't mean he's going to get it, but he can have a parole hearing after he serves 30 years day for day. That to me is not good enough, but it's the same law that I was sworn to uphold. I couldn't do anymore. Lauren was a sweet, kind soul that had he stopped and talked to her and said he needed help, she would have talked to him. And, uh, that's what's so ironic about all of this, is she was just such a nice person. Had he gone up to her, I think she would have talked to him. Today we are in front of McNeil Junior High. This is kind of the place right now in her life where she'd be 20 years old. But this is, this is as far as she got, eighth grade. First week of eighth grade is as far as she made it. The spot that we're coming up on is the memorial horse that they put up in her honor uh, after she was murdered. Uh, it was actually not just for her, it was for Michaela as well. So that makes it kind of special. It's not just a symbol of what we lost that day, but it's a symbol of uh, hope. Of hope, yeah. After Lauren's death, this community rallied. They, they, they came together, they, they guaranteed that she would not be forgotten. And you know, I, you can still say her name in this community and people know exactly who you're talking about. Lauren didn't get to get married. She didn't get to graduate college. She didn't get to develop friendships like we all got to develop. Um, you know, that's tough. That's tough for a community. No parent should bury a young child. It makes you cherish your family and the time you have with your family. For parents who are going through what we're going through, to have a murdered loved one, I'm wishing on anybody. And it's difficult. But I think what's helped us the most is to find the positive, we were able to find that, you know, with Lauren's Law. It has to do with capital murder in Texas. You have to be under 10 for it to be capital murder. And we didn't know that until this happened to our daughter. She was 13, so it was not capital murder. And that's why he will be eligible for parole one day. Lauren's Law raised the age now in Texas where if you murder a child between the age of 10 and 15, you are eligible for life without the possibility of parole. When I first met Bianca and Vern, they were broken. I watched them sad. I watched them mad. I've watched them work to be better people, if that's even possible. I watched Vern confront the defendant in the courtroom. And uh, the thing that stuck, excuse me for crying, but the thing that stuck in my mind was he told the defendant in the courtroom Everything you said in your statement was a lie, except two things, that my daughter was beautiful and she was an angel. And he was composed as can be, and he was a parent that day to Cody Lott in a way. It was just kind of a strange dynamic. 
It's actually not the last picture I have of Lauren, but one of the last. That night is the, the one where she's going to kiss me. Uh, and you can't really see her face is the last yeah. picture I have of her. You know, looking back on all that and the way that she lived and so adventurous and spontaneous and random and always wanting to go somewhere. It's like she wanted to see what life had to offer. She wanted to go out and explore. She wanted to try new things. And it's almost, you know, to me, her soul knew. Her soul knew she didn't have a long time here. That's just how I felt. And so Lauren just lived, you know, the fullest life she could in that short time. If the world were full of people like Lauren, we wouldn't have problems. We wouldn't need laws. We wouldn't need guns. We wouldn't. She's just a pure soul. She's pure love. Purest love I've ever met. Anybody who knew her knew how kind she was, how loving she was. That's what she'll always be remembered for. Uh, just ability to bring a smile to your face no matter what. Like I told her before she passed, I think she would be helping people. Whether it be a therapist, you know, a counselor, I just really feel like she would have been helping people. I just know she would have done good. We always told Lori that wherever you go, that's where we're going. And we're right. We know where she's at now, and we're going to. We'll catch up with her. All right. Merry Christmas. Till next year. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.